Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on W2BRFM, Pittsfield, with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have with us Tessa Kelly, Director of Public Projects for the Group Architecture and Urbanism Firm, also known as Group AU. We'll also have with us Dubois Thomas, Neighborhood Revitalization Director for Central Berkshire Habitat for Humanity. But right now we're going to kick things off with Tessa. Tessa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. This is fantastic. Now, Tessa, you have an amazing story. You're a Pittsville native who not only returned to her hometown, but you rolled up your sleeves and you got to work in a major way. And that's what we need more of in Pittsville. So thank you so much for coming back and getting involved. But I want to go back in time a little bit because I think your story is predicated on your beginning. So do you want to go with me on that journey a little bit? Sure. All right. So you were an English major at Williams College, and then you attended Harvard Graduate School of Design. And I just want to mention your thesis right now because I think it's important. Projective Preservation and the Small American City. And it was based on the question, what can I do in Pittsfield? Let's talk about that. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to make that your focal point and how it inspired you to do the work that you're doing today. Yeah. um, Well, I think the connection first between being an English major and then becoming an architect was I always was interested in looking at a given context or situation or book and trying to kind of pull out and connect ideas Mm -hmm. so that was the kind of the root of being the English major and then trying to organize those ideas in kind of interesting or compelling ways okay um but I also the the upbringing that I had was very um was very Mm hands-on um my the my Pittsfield family um were builders and Uh, ran a lumber mill and Mm. I had this kind of desire and kind of innate ability and interest to engage with the world in a very tactile way okay so when I discovered what being an architect was Mm -hmm. toward the end of college I never really thought of an architect growing up as really a profession of ideas yeah and um as I started to study more art history and understand that architecture really is based on ideas about Mm -hmm. place and really almost creating inhabitable ideas, Mm -hmm. I was just so taken with that notion. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went to architecture school and by the end, my final year, you're asked to do a thesis project. And I knew that I had to do it about Pittsfield because, I guess just because it's the the place that I feel I really know, okay. and it it um, I actually was discouraged against doing my thesis project about my hometown. Why? Because um, I was told that you couldn't have as objective of mm-hmm. a perspective on a place. Mm-hmm. But um, I really wanted to go beyond sort of what a building looks like and think more deeply about how a building project could really connect to almost the soul of a place and i felt that i couldn't i couldn't create that kind of project with a city that i was only going to visit once right um so really i wanted to use the thesis opportunity Mm -hmm. as a way to think about is there work that I could do in Pittsfield that's Hmm. kind of in line with this more theoretical type of study I've been doing in architecture school? Mm -hmm. Um, So it was sort of a test for that. It was saying, okay, well, many Pittsfield residents, and there's kind of this narrative that's that's somewhat pervasive in Pittsfield of it being Mm -hmm. a place that's past its prime or a place that doesn't Mm -hmm. have a lot going for it i've heard that and i just have never felt that way about pittsfield i've always been (laughs) i've always (laughs) been a pittsfield champion good and i i really wanted to kind of uncover new stories that pittsfield residents could rally around in a way not invent new stories but find things that are already here in our past and think of ways that we could um literally build upon them to um 
just create new perspectives and new kinds of excitement and new senses of belonging. Wow. Well, one, you could have gone anywhere, right? And, you know, your education, your expertise could have taken you anywhere. And you decided to bring that to Pittsville. You decided to be a champion for Pittsville. So kudos to you, because we need more champions and we need more people who believe in our city. So thank you. Did you did you think that when you this project would take off the way it did? I mean, we know the fruit of the project really birthed the Massheads project. Did you have any idea that it would become what it is today? Not at all. I never imagined any part of that thesis project would be built or become real. And I never actually imagined that I could have a career in Pittsfield either. The way it all came together is my mom actually insisted that I present my thesis project at the Berkshire Museum at Apechacucha Night. And Megan Wilden, the then director of um, cultural development, approached me the following weekend at a farmer's market and said, there's an NEA opportunity coming up. You know, let's why don't we try to see if we can build this part of the project? Mm -hmm. And the first grant we did not get. And then there was another round also through the NEA that we did get. And so, I mean, it's one thing that I've learned from that experience is you have to be, if you want to do an unusual type of work, Mm -hmm. the type of work that I'm trying to do, it's necessary for me to be out in public a lot, talking to people, sharing my ideas Mm -hmm. and listening to other people's ideas and figuring out where there may be unexpected opportunities Mm -hmm. for projects to come together. Um, And... Yeah, I just have learned that almost every unusual project we've done Mm -hmm. has happened because we've been at a community meeting or Mm -hmm. we've been talking to someone about, um, you know, a dream we have. We hear a dream they have and suddenly we can start kind of creating a shared direction. Um, So, yeah, just the the idea of just being out there and and talking about your ideas and and being open to unexpected possibilities or collaborations has been really how most of the things that we are doing in Pittsfield have started. Well, that makes me think, are you an introvert or an extrovert? I think that I'm an introvert. Okay. I think I'm an introvert, but I, 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 it's interesting. I'm an introvert because the way I think is very internalized, Mm -hmm. But I rely on these kind of key public um, encounters, mm-hmm. deep conversations, presentations to, to sort of generate yeah. ideas yeah. and to get to get excited okay. and to get other people excited. But then I kind of go back into my <laughs> shell. <laughs> okay, because I'm like, it's very public face in work. And I'm like, okay, so does that mean that she gets her energy from these gatherings and collaborations? And that's great. I mean, I know some people, they operate in different lanes. So I was like, I just wondered about that. Um, because that I know that, you know, um, one of the things that I really, I am so, I so admire about you is that the collaborations and right now one of the collaborations that, um, that, and we can go back to the mass heads in a minute, but the West Side Legends, right? And the collaborations with that group and just the, um, the Riverway Park, like that to me shows how like you took it out of this academic space and true to what you're saying now, you literally went out into the streets and built these relationships. I'm so fascinated by all of that work. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's actually just such a, um, I think, key observation that you just made, which is, I think, between the Mastheads and the West Side Riverway Park, mm-hmm. there was this major transition out of an academic project yeah. and into a really community-informed yes. project. And um, I had sort of a rude awakening mm-hmm. in that process because after the mastheads, I was sort of like, okay, my thing is um, studying Pittsfield history right. and then thinking about how to put that into a public space. Right. So I was like, okay, Westside Riverway Park. Mm-hmm. We're going to uh, think about all the different histories that have woven together along the Housatonic River. Right. We're going to think about the Mohicans. We're going to think about the paper and textile mm-hmm. mills. We're go- and I went to um, the Gatherin Festival. Yep. And I was at a booth. And um, a guy who was 
just kind of walking around, yeah. helped me set up the booth. And he was like, what are you here for? And he was a West Sider. I started telling him a little bit about the park and yeah. my idea. And he got angry. <gasps> he was just like, that is not what that is not what we need in this neighborhood. Mm. And it kind of struck me somehow with the mastheads. It it sort of worked to just take this academic idea yeah. and say, let's do this. Yeah. And it became very clear to me from this first encounter. Hmm. Okay, no, this can't just be a situation where hmm. an idea is imposed yeah. upon a space. Yeah. Um, and, th- and then I realized in that moment, I don't know what yeah. this park wants to be. Yeah. And I don't know what this neighborhood wants out of a new park. Yeah. Um, Tessa, tell yeah. me, did you... When you receive that information, how did you take it? Did you say, I'm going to absorb this? Because sometimes we know people get information like that and they shut down. And they say, okay, well, I I try to help. And then sometimes they'll say, well, I'm going to reflect on it. Mm -hmm. Did you take that and let it inspire you to to work in another direction? Definitely. I mean, I think that, and and actually also my second encounter Mm -hmm. about the Westside Riverway Park with uh, another West Side leader was also negative, mm-hmm. and it was sort of like, no, canoeing is not what this neighborhood wants, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that was the so that was sort of the initial premise of the whole West Side Riverway yeah. plan, connecting to the river through canoeing and kayaking mm-hmm. launches. And then I realized, okay, these two sort of foundational concepts, we haven't hit it on the head yet. We right. haven't figured it out. Right. So um, we need to do a lot more learning Mm -hmm. and then i was just so lucky that this group the west side legends was being formed basically right around the time that we actually got another nea grant to do robust community engagement for the west side riverway park right so we got this grant the west side legends were being formed and i kind of tentatively wrote a little facebook post Mm -hmm. on the west side legends page saying hey i'm an architect i'm doing this new park um and then I got a call first from one of the board members of the West Side Legends and then from another board member of the mm-hmm. West Side Legends, maybe sort of feeling each other out. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> um, and the second call from Tony Jackson, who's yeah. the president of the West Side Legends, he was sort of like, OK, well, is it going to have a basketball court? Yeah. Is it? And I think there was a lot of hesitation around the beginning of the park mm-hmm. in the in the sense that there is another park right around the corner, Durant Park, which yeah. um has always had a very important place in the community. Right. Um, And it became clear to me through the process that we should in no way uh, compete with Durant Mm -hmm. Park. We should very much think about these two parks essentially on a shared loop um, as complementing each other. Right. And so where we started to get in these early conversations with the West Side Legends is, okay, this park does have an interesting opportunity to Mm -hmm. introduce people to the river in a new way. Right. But what what else um, is there that will draw people in Mm. um, to to excite them about that new experience? And really what we got to was let's think about how this can be sort of an arts and culture park. Okay. And then over a year or so, it was a process of figuring out kind of what culture, what art wanted to be explained. A year. So it took a year for these conversations. They were budding. I can only imagine trust had to be a part of the equation. Yeah. I mean, I definitely uh, somehow Tony and I just we just work very well together. We we both are very action oriented people. Mm -hmm. We we are, I think, uh, he has a very intuitive sense of what people in the neighborhood will be drawn to doing mm-hmm. and what will bring people in the neighborhood out. He has a very close, I think, um, you know, multi-generational relationship with mm-hmm. many of the families in the neighborhood. Um, and I think we just we have a very honest and kind of complementary way of working. Right. Um, and we both wanted to create a really transformative public space right so a year was it a year of gap like phone calls zooms like what was it like in terms of that and maybe this is pre pre pre-covid thankfully it was pre-covid um so the very first thing we did was we went to and when i say we it was um myself and my partner chris Mm -hmm. parkinson 
um, an urban planner, Tanu Kumar, Mm -hmm. another architect and landscape designer, Zach Culbreth, and then a horticulturalist, Dorda Veed. Mm -hmm. So the five of us went, um, we we worked with Manny Slaughter. Yeah. We went to the... We love Manny. (laughs) Yeah. We went to the um, Maryland Hamilton Sports and Literacy Camp Mm -hmm. at Conti School, and we brought tons of model-making supplies, and we built models with all the kids, probably 50 kids between ages 5 and 18, and asked everyone to build their dream park pavilion and write about what would happen there. So we kind of started – we started – Getting some early ideas from the kids. Mm-hmm. We then had a Westside Women's Circle meeting, which Beverly Bolden, who's another board member of the Westside yes. Legends, organized. We had pizza. It was just kind of a hangout. But then I had I also brought for, for each of these sessions, yeah. I planned some sort of interactive design activity mm-hmm. that would be catered to the particular age group and the particular kind of conversation that would be happening there so that there would be a tangible mm-hmm. almost piece of evidence yeah. from every participant that we could then gather right um, so for the students it was ideas about the um, how the park would be used and what a pavilion might look like right. for the women's circle we brought um, kind of we brought maps mm-hmm. of the West Side neighborhood, and we asked everyone to create their own West Side walking loop okay. that would key in on what they thought were the most important sites yeah. to telling the history of the West Side. And the purpose of that project was to think about how the West Side Riverway Park yeah. Just kind of like what the network of already important sites in the neighborhood were mm-hmm. and to kind of understand what role the West Side Riverway Park might be able to play in kind of enhancing some right. of those existing yeah. stories in the neighborhood. And it was at this event that really one of the key pieces of information came out, which is that some of the women started reminiscing about block parties mm-hmm. and how they hadn't happened for a few generations. Mm-hmm. And moving forward from this event, we actually started just having test block parties mm-hmm. we even had one at the west side riverway park before we had built anything right. we just brought a pop-up tent a pop-up stage and we almost mocked up the site as if it were as if it were yeah. complete yeah. to see how people flowed and where yeah. people would go and what kinds of performances were happening and what how many booths there were just to kind of get a sense of okay what does a block party yeah. look like did it work it was fantastic. It was just amazing. <laughs> nice. We had, um, I mean, one of the things that we were trying to accomplish with the West Side Riverway Park from the beginning, which mm-hmm. was already working at that one event, was bringing together um, performers and voices from the neighborhood, yeah. from the immediate blocks, mm-hmm. and then also mixing in performances from um, the Albany Berkshire Ballet was yeah. there. Um, the Mastheads did a public poetry event and another thing that beverly had mentioned to me early on about when she was growing up in the west side she was saying there were all these opportunities for west siders to Mm -hmm. um take part in cultural experiences Mm -hmm. throughout the berkshires and in some ways i love the idea that the west side riverway park can be this special place of convergence between west side culture and kind of a broader cultural atmosphere of the Berkshires. And I think it's just really a kind of, it's set up to be able to accommodate smaller Mm -hmm. events, neighborhood events, but it can also accommodate um, the Williamstown Theater Festival is doing something there this weekend. And I just think it's so exciting to create this platform. It's an awesome space. I drive by it all the time because my church actually is right on, um, right off Linden. So I see it all the time. And, you know, I think about just as what you said, just in terms of how it harnesses memories from folks who grew up in that, in the neighborhood. I want to know a little bit more about the buy-in. You mentioned having groups from the neighborhood just participate and perform and do so many different things. Did you? How did you get their buy-in? Did you need the West Side Legends as a conduit to say, hey, this is a really great thing to be a part of? Because we know sometimes ideas as a standalone work, but it works even better when there's buy-in from um, other organizations or other individuals that can say, hey, you really need to be a part of this. Come on board. How did that work? And the reason why I'm asking you this is because 
We've heard a lot from other organizations that are like, we want input from the community. We want to know what they're thinking. But I feel from what I'm getting from you, there's a co-creator element to this. So tell me how on a granular level, how you got buy-in and how you're able to keep the buy-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I could. I don't think I could have done it without the West Side Legends. Yeah. Um, and the way that I think I personally uh, earned the trust of people in the neighborhood is that I mentioned that that year-long process mm-hmm. and now it's been I think about three years since yeah. since that was kicked off um, at least once a month in that first year yeah. and maybe once every three months since then um, the West Side Legends and I mm-hmm. or the West Side Legends and the Mastheads do events together mm. um, and we plan them together and the West Side Legends really figure out how to bring the people. Mm-hmm. And um, I help. Well, what, what I kind of contribute to each event in, the, in that first year, I would always bring some sort of design prompt or design activity. So what we could do is essentially pair the positive energy of whatever event we were putting on, yeah. whether it was a Halloween block party mm-hmm. or whatever it was, pair that positive energy with the park. Yeah. So we were able to create this kind of positive energy around the new park even before it existed. Wow. Um, so it kind of, I think we, we sort of succeeded in creating a culture around the West Side Riverway Park that just was embedded mm. in all of these positive experiences that we'd been building up for the year right. or more before it opened. Right. So I hear consistency. Consistency. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So I, I think those are key takeaways for any organization that is trying to build up that capacity of trust, right, to show up and be consistent. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, you have the masses, you have this going on. What else should we know, Tessa? What else is on the horizon? Well, we have another really special new park opening this summer, which mm-hmm. is called Kellogg Park, Ooh. and it's in the Morningside neighborhood. Nice. And um, that one, so just quickly back to the this title that you had read early mm-hmm. on, Projective Preservation in the Small American City, yeah. which is kind of a... Um, overly wordy and maybe boring way of <laughs> summarizing what I think all of these projects have in common, mm-hmm. which is that first phrase, projective preservation. What it really means is the second word, preservation, yeah. wanting to kind of evoke something out of a given city or a given neighborhood or even a given block mm-hmm. about what is important to them. And then the projective word is about how do we move that into the future? Right. How do we use that to set up a new opportunity? Yeah. So Kellogg Park is a space in the Morningside neighborhood um, that is really all about celebrating uh, Morningside student poets. Nice. Um, so... The Mastheads has been doing um, poetry in schools Mm -hmm. programming at Morningside for, I think, we're going on our 10th semester. Mm -hmm. Sarah Trudgeon is the instructor. And one of the early things we learned from Judy Rush, who's the director of curriculum for the Pittsfield Public Schools, is that um, Morningside students and some other kind of at-risk populations Mm -hmm. in Pittsfield Public Schools, one of the things that is shared between those groups of families Mm -hmm. is a sense of not being part of the larger culture of the city. Um, So this opportunity to create a pocket park in the Morningside neighborhood, one of the first things we thought about was, okay, instead of, say, trying to get these kids on you know, a bus to go to XYZ institution. Yeah. Let's celebrate the culture they're creating in their own neighborhood mm-hmm. um, by cre- and create a really unique, special space where other people can come to them nice. to celebrate their creations. Nice. So this space is, um, it has these amazing 26 five-foot-tall um, abstract alphabet letter sculptures that kids can play around. And then the fence line 
has um, lines of poetry for Morningside second graders yeah. engraved in the wood. So it's a place um, where I think moving forward, Morningside students can have poetry readings nice. that the larger public can come to. So it's really about kind of figuring out the Mastheads was citywide. Yeah. The Westside Riverway Park was in the Westside neighborhood. Yeah. This poetry park is in the Morningside neighborhood. Kind of spending the time to learn what are these kind of untapped pieces of culture or yeah. history that have the potential to be something bigger and have the potential to invite other people in. I love it. It's normalizing the arts and culture, making it a part of their everyday existence. I love it because once it's built into the fabric of their being and they see it, they feel it, they play around with it, it becomes them, right? Yes. So I love the idea of normalizing it. That's just amazing, Tessa. I love it. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. I see our time. We're wrapping it down. I, I just We have so many good things to talk about, but we don't have a limited time. <laughs> so I just want to make sure there's something really great that you said. You said there's a motto that you have. We must add to our heritage or lose it. With this in mind, what are some things that everyday Pittsfielders can do to support this mission? Yeah. Um, well, one thing that I find really amazing about working with the West Side is that there's really a shared sense of culture that is kept alive yeah. from generation to generation. And that was something that, as a Pittsfield resident, I hadn't really personally experienced mm. much before starting to work with the West Side Legends. And so, to me, what I find kind of important about that quote, one is that the word heritage, I think, is different from the word history and mm. that um, heritage can be very subjective. Mm. It can be, you know, what is important to you or what right. is important to your family or your block or your community. Right. Um, and I think just kind of more open-minded storytelling about what Pittsfield is yeah. beyond GE. You know, there's so <laughs> much more. So there's, much. Um, so I think just kind of exploring more i think they're just they're infinite fascinating yeah. histories and stories in pittsfield that we could build upon like um this one stretch of north street yeah. that i always drive home on or i guess right right north just yeah. north of north street on yeah. route seven you go by that um the old pontusic woolen mill mm -hmm. there are all these fascinating buildings around that have stories to tell about what was it like yeah. in the, where when the mill workers were here and yeah. i would just love to participate more in unearthing some kind of forgotten stories uh. that may connect us to you know underutilized or underappreciated buildings yeah. or underutilized or underappreciated sites and really bring those back to life in oh. a way that um, people can really feel like, yes, this really this really represents me and my family. And we're going to continue to build on what this city is yes. using this revitalized piece of land or this revitalized network of buildings. I love it. I love it, Tessa. I love it. You're right. I think everyone, we all have that. We all have the ability to contribute to the history, right? Every little thing that we do, we contribute in good ways and in not so good ways. And we have that power to do it. So cheers to you for doing it. One last question. Choose one word that best describes you, Tessa. Well, I was struggling with how to answer this question and then... <laughs> One recent phone call came to mind with um, Sarah Trudgen, who is the literary director of the Mastheads and who's become a really dear friend of mine. And she told me on the phone recently, we were, we were always kind of struggling through these Mastheads yeah. battles with different partnerships and all sorts of things. And um, she told me that I was sanguine. And I got off the phone and said, I don't even really know what that means. I'm going to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> and it means optimistic in the face of adversity or difficult situations. Love it. And I feel like that is just a word that I would love to claim. Yes. Because all of these projects that we've talked about, um, you know, it's not easy yeah. to stick to yeah. 
these visions yeah. because they're unfamiliar. Yeah. And um, every one of these projects that we make it over the finish line, yeah. there are just so many moments, so many encounters, yes. so many challenges. Yeah. Um, so I think this word sanguine of just staying committed yeah. to what we're doing no matter what. And not that's not to say yeah. that we're not open to, mm-hmm. you know, pivoting. Yeah. But this kind of continued optimism, um, I think, is probably something that is at the core of making any of this work happen. Well, I have to totally agree. And you have the last word, Tessa. Tessa, thank you for joining us today. And you were amazing. And I just love our conversation. And I feel like somehow we need to have a part two. So we've got to figure it out. But I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with our next, next guest, Dubois Thomas. Thanks, everyone. The Berkshire's only rock station, 89.7 WTBRFM, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Hey, this is Chief Wynn with the Pittsfield Police Department and Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Hey, Gary. Hey, Chief. We just want to remind all of our listeners and viewers to tune in every Friday for On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, and also on Pittsfield Community Television. Right, Gary? Don't miss Friday mornings, 9 a.m. on WTBR FM. All the happenings at the Pittsfield Police Department. On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Bring us with you wherever you go. WTBRFM.com What is One Berkshire? We're the voice of the business community, promoting the region and supporting local business. How do we do it? Through marketing, networking, sponsorships, and advocacy. Whether it's promotion to travelers and second homeowners or opportunities to network with your neighbors and raise your profile, we've got you covered. So join today. Visit OneBerkshire.com. That's the number one Berkshire.com. The preceding public service announcement courtesy of WTBR and Lee Bank. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Underwriters are so important for keeping this station alive. Hi, this is Sean Sayre, Executive Director of PCTV. I'd like to thank our local businesses for supporting Pittsfield Community Radio and for believing in the mission of the station. When you hear underwriting messages on the air, you know those companies support WTBR-FM. If you're listening now and your business would like to join in and support us, call me today at 445-4234 and get involved or visit us at WTBRFM.com. It will make all the difference. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in Pittsville. Thanks for tuning in. So we kicked off our conversation with Tessa Kelly, and now I'd like to welcome Dubois Thomas, Neighborhood Revitalization Director for Central Berkshire Habitat for Humanity. Dubois, thank you for being here. It's great to be here. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. So I'm going to get started right away. You're a relative newcomer to Pittsville, and guess what? I am too. I've been here 11 years, but until unless you have like roots in the soil, you're not like really from Pittsfield. So um, I know you joined Habitat in like 2019 and um, you've earned a reputation as the real deal. But I want to know, where do you call home? Where's your hometown? Well, I grew up initially in a neighborhood called El Barrio in New York City. Yay, New York City. Yay, yay, yay. So for people unfamiliar, that's kind of sandwiched between the Upper East Side and Harlem. Yes, like, yeah, I know. That's like, so is that like East Harlem? Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. Because when I I grew up in New York City, too, I grew up in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And when I was commuting to school, I was also, I was a tutor at the East Harlem Tutorial Program. Okay. So I know East Harlem. Yes, nice, nice, nice. All right, so... That's listen. I think when you grow up in New York City, you see everything and everyone, and it sort of gives you the backdrop to deal with anything that comes your way. So I'm glad to be talking to a fellow New Yorker. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, 
much of your work has really been centralized around the metropolitan area. Tell me a little bit about how it was working in the city. I know you have the Bronx, Queens, Jamaica, Queens, as some of the backdrops for your work. Um, tell me a little bit about the work there, because when you shifted to Pittsfield, it's a different environment. Well, as I said, I grew up in El Barrio, which translates to the neighborhood. Nice. So kind of from uh, my formative years, I've always been really aware of kind of the power of community yeah. um, and the importance of um, you know, the village, the community, mm-hmm. working and um, supporting each other in a neighborhood. Nice. So no matter where I lived in New York, I grew up in El Barrio, but then I lived in the Bronx, I lived in Brooklyn, I lived in Queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, wherever I went, I felt like my work was to kind of support that nice. uh, lifeblood. So I was always in some sort of housing. I I did everything from superintendent work to I was a doorman for a couple of summers okay. uh, all the way up to being a property manager and then eventually in the nonprofit sector doing um, community organizing and uh, advocacy work. Now you studied at Bucknell and you majored in philosophy and I was I'm intrigued by the path in like housing and like philosophy like how did you marry the two like tell me a little bit how you entered into this field of work. Um, I guess it 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 boils down to my what I think about what education is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think in America, unfortunately, a lot of people go to school uh, to get a job okay. and to learn how to do a job. Right. Um, I had, I guess, I would I would classify the privilege of working well before. Um, I guess like my kind of career started <laughs> before <laughs> high school. Yes. Um, so I always saw um, the difference between my career path and mm-hmm. what I wanted to do to. Uh, kind of satisfy my intellectual curiosity. So when mm-hmm. I went to high school and college, I was often studying things like sociology, philosophy, history, yeah. basically how things work, how people work, yeah. how the mind works. Um, I've always been interested in that. And then mm-hmm. I always felt like work was work and you kind of like learn that on the job. And, ah. um, so not that they're not informed by each other. I definitely feel like my philosophy degree has made me a better tenant organizer, yeah. a better director, a better counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't why I did it. Tell me a little bit about how you're able to interject that background into the work of just like supporting people in the housing field. Um, I think a lot of it boils down to critical thinking skills mm-hmm. and the ability to research um, issues mm-hmm. to get at the root cause of things um, so that when you're developing solutions to personal, interpersonal, community problems. They're not just getting at the symptoms. Right. You're actually getting at uh, a real solution to the problem. Do you think that's something that um, doesn't happen too often? Often we see the symptom, but we're not looking at what caused the symptom. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's a great approach, having this sort of comprehensive assessment, right? To be able to say, hold on, what we're seeing is a manifestation of something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a tremendous perspective. Um, When you came to Pittsfield in 2019, I want to know what brought you here. Was it was it work? Was it just a change of environment? Um, A little bit of both. It definitely um, it was an opportunity. Uh, My family as a whole was looking at a change Mm -hmm. um, to move. And there was this opportunity with Central Berkshire Habitat for Humanity, Neighborhood Revitalization Director, where um, a kind of a too good to pass up, an opportunity to have an impact on a community kind of in any manner that worked, right? However I saw fit. So Mm -hmm. it was asking me to really test my skills and experience, not just in housing, Mm -hmm. but kind of community-wide. What are the indicators and underlying issues that can really revitalize the community. Nice. Well, you know, one of the things that when folks know I'm from New York, they say, well, how is it like making the shift here? And I'm like, well, you know, I've had other communities. I've been in the Hudson Valley, different places after I left New York City 20 years ago. Um, but tell me a little bit for you, what were some of the biggest things that you had adju- had to adjust to when you moved here? Uh I mean, people are people, yeah. place is place, mm-hmm. uh, cities are cities. So it it's just scale. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think one of the the real kind of shocking moments for me, uh, my first couple of weeks was I was told there were 
75 or 76 homeless families that Mm. were accounted for in the city of Pittsfield. Mm. And I remember something like Mm 10,000 homeless children, just Mm -hmm. children Mm -hmm. in New York City. And seeing that as a problem that I couldn't even wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. But 75 families, I could wrap my head around that. I could start thinking about solutions for that. So I definitely was emboldened by the idea that the issues I felt here were I don't want to say I, I don't, I don't want to belittle the, mm-hmm. the efforts of other people, but they're definitely solvable. Right. If, if we all if we were all to kind of get work in concert, mm-hmm. these are not unattainable. You, we could we could find housing for 80 families. Right, like right, that, right. That's so, something that we can do. Yeah. So that perspective, then that mindset, having seen something different and having come here, you're like, hold on. We can do something. And that actually takes me to my next question because, like I said, you've earned the reputation as being the real deal. You fancy yourself as a boots on the ground kind of guy. Like, I, every time I see him, I'm like, you know, he is always working. He's all about the business, all about getting things done. I want to know what are some of the aspects of your job? You mentioned one about the hope, right? The hope and the feeling that you can actually make a tangible difference. What are some other aspects of your job that you find fascinating and just make you wake up with just like a really glad heart to mm-hmm. say, I can get things done? Uh, other people. Okay. Um, I I like the idea that, well, I, I subscribe to the idea that I don't, I don't build leadership. Mm-hmm. I discover leadership mm. in the community. I kind of try to just um, unearth it. And yeah. so there are, I think, the resources, energy, momentum to revitalize the the communities of Pittsfield is mm-hmm. already in the communities in Pittsfield, right? It doesn't need to yeah. be uh, imported. Um, so I'm really excited about talking to people and yeah. getting them to get excited and confident about their own vision mm-hmm. and their own abilities to to affect positive change. Nice. I like it. So that aspect of that collaborative leadership, I love it. Tell me a little bit about a day in the life of Dubois Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll skip over the dogs and the children. You can keep them in, too, because that makes you who you are. Um, uh it's it's a lot. So Habitat for Humanity is it tries to kind of we try to sit at as many tables as mm-hmm. possible, uh, especially when it comes to work in the, in the West Side neighborhood. Yeah. So uh, my day entails like right now, season to season it changed. But right now we're involved in recruiting heavily for our AmeriCorps program. Mm-hmm. So trying to get um, neighborhood residents excited about an opportunity to receive a stipend. Yeah while they're tr- getting trained to do building or repair yeah. of homes. Um, but we're also involved in vaccine outreach for mm-hmm. the community navigators. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've worked collaboratively yes. with the Berkshire Bridges Working Cities. Yes. We've got a lot of work going on there. We have, that's right. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, and that that um, is a challenge because it's, it's not just talking to neighborhood residents about yeah. what they want. It's not just talking to the community navigators, but it's also yeah. communicating with the likes of yeah. you and other maybe executive directors of mm-hmm. our partners mm-hmm. and making sure that kind of we're all working in concert. Yes. So um, I think every day is a little different. Mm-hmm. I try to be uh, flexible, but always keeping kind of my eye on the prize of the mission. All right. I like that. I like that. You know, I think one of the things you mentioned just about working with the community and when we had Tessa on, Tessa was talking about just the buy-in and the relationship that she has with the West Side Legends. One of the things, you know, for you coming into Pittsfield, right, you know, how did you, when your boots on the ground, how do you earn the trust of the people in the community? What things, specific things have you done to say, listen, I'm going to be consistent, I'm here. Like, what's your style? What's your method? Hmm. Um, I listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely put a priority on listening mm-hmm. over talking. I I think I one thing I will say that I'm good at, I don't say I'm good at many things, uh, but I'm good at decentering myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I My agenda is not important. So okay. I'm really good at um, getting other people to kind of suss out what yeah. they what they want, what their vision is, yeah. and then getting them to kind of think objectively and strategically yeah. about how to get that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. 
Okay. Um, in terms, and I like that. I mean, it actually seems like an aspect of like that servant leadership model, um, just really saying, I'm here for you. And I, I love that. Um, in talking with folks, did you have to, do you feel like you had to um, establish, establishing that rapport? What was that like? Because mm-hmm. what we're hearing a lot from, you know, organizations sometimes, and I mentioned it to Tessa, is that organizations seek buy-in they seek to know what the people feel but like what are the ways that people can get that buy-in in a tangible way and tessa she demonstrated she she talked about um the relationship building between um the west side legends and for her it was consistency showing up having activities that there was this co-creation model um would you say it's the same for like habitat mm-hmm. in, in the work that you guys do and bringing the community in yeah absolutely i think we also um, have a relationship with the West Side Legends, mm-hmm. um, and I, as I said before, it's kind of I, not identifying and being good at identifying what leadership is already mm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, a community buys into when you recognize who they are. Absolutely. So if I right. if I walk in and I say no, I'm the leader, yeah. or I decide who the leader mm. is, and I start communicating yeah. only with that person. I don't get buy-in from anybody. That's right. But if I listen to them, I understand who they identify their leader to be, and then I support that person, Yes. then everything kind of happens organically. It's so important, Dubois, and I think that that's that's guidance that can help so many others. I mean, you mentioned decentering, you mentioned listening, and you mentioned having folks identify who the leadership is among them. And I think those are key takeaways, especially at a time when people want to get input they want to know and they want to support and versus coming in and telling a community hearing from them in their own words um tremendous i think you know one of the things i know because of just the work in the mayor's office that i see the requests coming in for different projects and i see your hands are in so many different things and i think it's great what would you say is a project that you are particularly proud of that has had a tremendous impact I can't help but look forward, um, and I, honestly, I think uh, upcoming. We, I, you probably have the request coming across <laughs> your desk uh, already, if not later today. Um, we're planning a really large uh, volunteer engagement day mm-hmm. uh, in September for yeah. the neighborhood of the West Side, and more than just the impact that 300 volunteers are going to have on the neighborhood over the course of a couple of hours. Why I think that it's such a tremendous impact is because it is the result and culmination, I think, of many years of Mm -hmm. Central Berkshire Habitat for Humanity, listening to the neighborhood and engaging in a conversation and discussion with Mm -hmm. um, our community about what they want. And so now we actually have buy-in from a large partner like Berkshire Bank that's Mm going to have all their employees do this volunteer day, and all the projects are... um, responding mm-hmm. to things we've heard through community meetings or con- one-on-one conversations mm-hmm. with residents. Um, and it is the beginning of a multi-year process mm-hmm. to do not just beautification, but repairs right. um, uh, to, to the homes and really physically re- start revitalizing our, the core of our neighborhood. I was just about to ask you, like, what are some examples of some of the projects? And so I, I'm hearing beautification. So would that mean like gardening? Would mm-hmm. that mean like cleanups? Give some All examples. All of the above. So yeah. we've got, we, we're, this year, um, we are offering painting mm-hmm. um, the front doors and mm-hmm. steps for folks, giving people new home house numbers. Mm-hmm. One of the complaints was that a lot of homes were not quickly identifiable Interesting. in the neighborhood because either they had small numbers or their numbers had fallen off. Right. Um, and that is a, a health and safety issue yeah. when you're trying to engage emergency services. Yeah. Um, we're also doing some repairs to some porches mm-hmm. and um, building raised beds mm-hmm. so that people can have flowers out nice. in front of their homes and then some general rubbish and landscaping cleanups will have probably close to a dozen dumpsters in the neighborhood to help clean all this stuff up now did this the idea for this project come out of community input Mm -hmm. okay so we've uh as you are aware we have a monthly working cities wednesday meeting that central berkshire is part of Mm -hmm. a coalition of groups where we engage the community in um a series of discussions Mm -hmm. and 
even before COVID, but definitely during COVID, a lot of uh, conversations were around what what can be done to beautify the neighborhood in terms of cleaning up yeah. the lots and um, and and really starting to turn turn things around. So I, one thing we've heard a lot of is in the West Side we have a lot of abandonment of homes, yeah, and that generally the city only has enough money to demolish the home mm-hmm. um and so for every every year probably through cdbg funds one to two homes get demolished in, in the west side mm. but that's probably outpacing the amount of new homes that mm. are being created on the okay. west side and that's starting to kind of create uh some frustration with folks about okay. that you know housing yeah the housing stock's going in the wrong direction mm. in our neighborhood okay. right so how do we start to turn around some of these lots and start to be used as a mm-hmm. kind of community space um some of the start identifying some homes that might be on the precipice mm-hmm. of uh you know the point of no return right and using leveraging with the at, at home pittsfield funds right. and other sources of funding to help these uh vulnerable homeowners actually turn their yes. turn their homes around and Speaking of at home, have you heard from the folks in the community about um, their reception to this program? And is it something that they they welcome? I think people are really excited about any resources uh, (laughs) available to help do any repairs at all. Um, Every homeowner we've spoken to is really excited about it. I think the frustration comes on the... The, the, the back end that we're definitely right. working with through the community navigators. Habitat is trying to work with the city on yeah. uh, further developing that program so that in the future we can get as we can kind of maximize that impact. So I know you like to decenter yourself and I know you want to be forward thinking, but I think you're a little bit humble here. And I want you to mention something that you have done <laughs> that you are proud of, because I think this is an opportunity. This is backstory. So this is an mm-hmm. opportunity so people can know what has been going on. And and I tell you, here's why I, I push this to Bob, because oftentimes people don't know what's happening or they think that if it's not right in front of them, that it's doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So it, this is an opportunity to actually say, listen, these are some of the things that have happened. And guess what? We're really excited about Volunteer Engagement Day coming up. But that shows that we're working. The wheels are spinning. So give me one or two things mm-hmm. that you guys have, you, your team has done that you're really proud of. So one project that happened, I guess it got kicked off right at the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a Spark Grants yep. uh, competition mm-hmm. where we were offering $500 and $1,000 mini grants um, for neighborhood residents to kind of implement their ideas yes. on how to improve the neighborhood. And uh, that was a, just in the process alone, was, I thought, amazing. And the amount nice. of people who had ideas about painting telephone poles and um, installing uh, basketball courts, mm-hmm. all kinds of ideas came about. A lot of which could not happen because COVID came right. about. But we were still able to paint some beautiful rocks over at Wakona yes. Park. We had uh, the beginning of what I think we're collaborating with West Side Legends now on expanding the mural that's on College Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that some of those funds paid for a mosaic, uh, right. tile mosaic that's up. Uh, at the steps at Francis Avenue mm-hmm. and uh, College Way, yeah, um, and and also pay for the clearing of that of that area, mm-hmm. which was to the residents up on Division and Francis Avenue was not only an eyesore but was a hazard right. um, to their to their children, and so that kind of transformed that whole area. Right. And I thought that was really cool. One small thing mm-hmm. that had a big impact, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot is happening. And co- you're right, COVID did stop a lot. Tell me a little bit about just during COVID, like how are you able to maintain the energy and just keep that spirit or that sense of hope among the community going at a time when we couldn't be connected mm-hmm. in the traditional way? Right. Well, I think um, I think everyone did a great job mm-hmm. of kind of, doing the best they could yeah uh, i think remaining connected even virtually yeah. um was really helpful for folks yeah. we 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 upped the occurrences of those working cities wednesday mm-hmm. meetings to twice a month yep um so f- folks had more of an opportunity to kind of check in with each other um 
And all it meant was just thinking a little more creatively about how to have that same impact. And so actually right before COVID yeah. started, uh, we had a funder um, giving us some money to pilot a kind of small business incubator on the mm-hmm. west side and i thought there would be an idea to help people start their food businesses yeah um in a kind of co-working space mm-hmm. um obviously when covid hit um the demand for restaurant <laughs> restaurant support and people willing to work in a confined yeah. space kind of disappeared yeah. but we were able to really quickly um come up with a, a new idea where Instead of training folks to do food service, yeah. we trained folks to be language interpreta- interpreters. Ah. So they could do that training online, ah. and they did that uh, over the course of several months. Um, and instead of supporting a kind of cohort of food service workers, uh-huh. they were supporting a cohort of language interpreters who would, in theory, be able to work either in a collaborative setting. Yeah. Or at the very least, that's something that people can do in this kind of new normal right. of working from home and and still having income for their families by right. by interpreting for for folks. The master of the pivot, mm-hmm. all about the pivot, all about the pivot. So I'm going to ask another question now. What is something that people may misconstrue about you? <laughs> <laughs> um. You know what? I think I think I have. If you if you're only basing it on on my what I look like, sometimes uh-huh. people don't think I I'm like passionate mm-hmm. or that I care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, it's kind of all I think about and all yeah. I care about is yeah. other people and how to make the world a, a better place. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know. I, I, I remember uh, the former initiative director of, working, of of Berkshire Bridges Working Cities, Alyssa Costa, once, yeah. once, once said that, that uh, you know, du, Dubois will be kind of angry and aggressive about other people doing the right thing. Hmm. You know what I mean? That I that I'll kind of gladly be the kind of bad guy if mm-hmm. it means that we go in the right direction. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I could. Yeah. I could definitely see that, Dubois. You, you're, you're super chill. <laughs> you're super chill, and you know, I guess the, you know, I just like unassuming. Like you really, you have this just like super chill vibe. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I guess, especially since COVID happened, I guess I would say I'm an introvert because I was, I was fine with the social distancing <laughs> requirements. <laughs> Uh, working from home with kids, also doing school from home, not so much. Mm, but um, understood. But yes, I'm an only child. Mm. I, I appreciate, uh, you know, solitude every once in a while. Do you get back to the city often? Uh, it has. It's been a while, um, but no, not not as much as I'd like. I guess. Do you miss it? It's okay. You can answer honestly. <laughs> no, I mean, I I'm I literally. Was born and raised in New York. Nice. I spent my whole life there. Nice. Outside of the, you know, four years of boarding school and yeah. four years of college. Um, and so it's part of me. It will always be part of me. Yep. I will always feel comfortable there. And But something I do know about New York City, having been from there, is that it, it's always changing. Always changing. So it's, you know, even the neighborhood I grew up in is not even called a barrio anymore. I know. Like, you know, I so. know. I, I I totally agree. I I grew up in the Bronx, and um, I, I was born in Jamaica, but my family came to this country, and I grew up in the Bronx. And the block, as I knew it, no longer exists. Like it's still the block, but it's just changed, and neighborhoods change. And so, I understand. And even when I go back to New York, it just feels different. But you're right. The New York that you have in your heart will always be like the New York in your heart. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the memories will carry you. So I hear you. Well, I have my final question for you, Dubois, is if you had to choose one word that best describes you, what would that be? One word. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I strive every day to be centered. Yeah. So either I'm either I'm failing and succeeding, but 
Uh, All right. <laughs> that's where I'm going for, centered. Well, you know what? I'll take it. Dubois, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, I just like Tessa. I like I want more. Like I want to know more of your story. Like I feel like it's not enough time, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Where there's a will, there is a way. So I just want to thank you right now for joining us today. And everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for listening and have a great day.